Good morning. Well, I know this is not possible, but um, if you could imagine that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is going to come to your home for Christmas. Now, I know it can be very difficult to imagine somebody from a different country who does not speak your language coming to your home and just sitting on the couch, unable to communicate. So just imagine that Mary is more like your grandmother. She can come and talk to you, and it's easy and comfortable. And I know that it can be difficult to imagine having somebody from a different country come, from a different culture, actually from 2,000 years ago, time period come to your home. You know, somebody who doesn't know about electricity, microwaves, TVs. But just imagine again that Mary is more like your grandmother, and she is familiar with computers, even if she's not able to use one. And Mary is there at your home, and I know sometimes it can be difficult to think about someone just talking to you about their life. So just imagine first that Mary is engaging you first, asking questions about you and your life and finding it about you, and then you switch to talking about her and hearing some of her stories. So if you have Mary in your home this Christmas, what would you like to ask her? And what would you like her to tell you about from her experiences? Well, this morning we were looking at the story of the Annunciation, which is found in Luke 1, 26-38. And this is a story where the angel Gabriel comes and visits Mary. And in this story, it's God choosing her to be the mother of Jesus. Something very familiar to us at Christmas, and we've heard this so many times. So this morning, I hope that we can have fresh ears to hear the story, fresh eyes to see it once again. And to see the full effect of what it meant for Mary to say, may it be. Well, this morning we have Kelly, who's going to read the scripture for us. So, Kelly, thank you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kelly. Well, if you are looking for an Advent book to read this time of year, um, I have very much enjoyed recently Scott McKnight's book, The Real Mary. And in it, I think you will be captured by how he begins where he explains the weight that is behind Mary's may it be. When Mary says, may your word be to me be fulfilled. There's a lot at stake for Mary in this. And I want my 
Advent motto to be, may it be. As I think about just standing before God with my hands open and saying, God, whatever you put in my life, may it be. Well, this morning we want to look at this Annunciation story to get the full force of Mary's may it be. Perhaps you noticed in this reading that Kelly just did that the angel Gabriel doesn't arrive to Mary and say, hey Mary, good news for you. You just won the Roman lottery. You are going to get a pile of gold every year for the rest of your life and you are going to now live in the lap of luxury and ease. No, that is not the message at all that Mary receives. Instead, Mary receives this message that spells trouble. Everything about this message is trouble, except one thing. It says, the Lord is with you. That's not trouble. That's actually what's going to carry her through all the other things that will be trouble. So this morning, I want to look at the three things, the three troubles that make Mary's may it be so powerful. The first trouble is the trouble of being highly favored by God. Second trouble, trouble of being unwed and pregnant. And finally, the third trouble of your child taking the throne of David and reigning forever. So, the first troubling thing of being highly favored. In this story, we read that Gabriel greets Mary. He says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Seems like a very nice greeting, except Mary is troubled by that greeting. Makes us wonder what is she thinking as she begins pondering what that means. And Mary kind of has this theme throughout her life of pondering, putting the pieces together, trying to understand what is going on. Read that Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, on the surface level, I think we would all think that to be highly favored would be a great thing, a good thing, a wonderful thing. Who doesn't want to be favored by God? But here, Mary is troubled. We have to ask, why? Why is she troubled? And I just wonder for Mary, as as she hears this, you are highly favored, does she just start thinking about Moses? Moses was greeted by a fiery bush talking to her, and that led to a lot of trouble in his life. Maybe she thought about the prophet Jeremiah, who God asked him to be the voice for God to the people of Israel, to speak for God. Except God also told him no one would listen to him. How discouraging that was. So I wonder and I imagine as Mary hears this greeting from the angel, is she just thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what is going to happen to my life? What is going to happen next? Well, with that look on her face, Angel Gabriel repeats the crucial part again. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And actually, this is a huge blessing. This is something great, to be favored by God. For God to be paying attention to her, noticing her, thinking about her, having a plan for her. This is something wonderful. It is not a trouble. But the trouble will come when the people around Mary start causing trouble for her. You know, the people around her are going to cause difficulty as they taunt her, harass her, try to crush her, crush her son. So Mary's may it be is to receive God's favor and say, 
Yes, I will take the honor of that. And I will take the burden of what is coming. So the second trouble is this great burden. The great burden of being pregnant and unwed. Gabriel's message is, hey, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And there it is. There is the trouble that's going to plague Mary's life for the rest of her life, like having the disease of leprosy. It's not something she's going to be able to just get over or get through. This is going to be something that defines her life every day. It's going to shape how she fits into Israel's society. It's going to shape how people view her, how they treat her, how they understand her. There are implications for her being an unwed mother. And the people around Mary, perhaps just like today, simply cannot accept the virgin birth. So what those people would see, what those people would see is that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now in the Torah law, the system that they lived in, to be pledged to be married meant that they were already legally bound together. They were committed. They were in. There is no like changing that, that they were already married in a sense that we would think about it. But in their situation, in their system, the consummation of the marriage didn't come for a couple months later. So they're legally bound, but they're fully not together. So what the people would see is that Mary's pregnant. They're not consummated in their marriage. And so they would wonder. And when they started wondering, this is what happens in the Torah law. That if somebody commits adultery, somebody is going to be stoned, killed. So this is Mary's reality, right? Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 22. Here's the law. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin, pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge the evil from among you. So, since things are usually more complex than this, harder to determine if a woman was consenting and guilty of adultery or unconsenting. Or another factor perhaps could be that a husband is bringing false accusation against his wife. But the bottom line is it's difficult to figure out guilt in this matter. So, back in the day, they had another law to figure out these difficult cases. It was the law of bitter waters. Not something we practice today, but something common back then. And here's what Scott McKnight says about this. It says, the law of bitter waters was designed for disputable cases. According to the fifth chapter of Numbers, a suspected adulteress, Hebrew word sota, was brought before the priest, required to let her hair hang down, and under oath asked to drink the bitter waters, a mixture of dust, holy water, and the ink of the priest's written curse. The oath involved these words. May the Lord cause you to become a curse among your people when he makes your womb miscarry and your abdomen swell. If the woman was guilty, she'd become sick. If she didn't become sick, she was acquitted. So Mary must have had all these things running through her mind, 
as the angel brings her this message. You know, she's probably racing through all the options of what's Joseph going to do? Is he going to make me drink the bitter waters? Or is he just going to divorce me as the law requires and make her destitute? Or is Joseph going to accept her in and then his reputation will also be tarnished forever? And then once this child is born, it doesn't really matter what Joseph thinks because then there's going to be the community of people. She knew that the villagers would taunt her. They would ostracize her son. You know, the accusations of being an illegitimate child would go on forever. And her son would bear this burden of never being fully accepted into the community. Another law in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2, related to this, is that no one born of a forbidden marriage, nor any of their descendants, may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. So what are the implications for Mary for her son, that her pregnancy is happening and there is no father to be identified. This is the reality, the weight that Mary brings to saying, may it be. And that's what makes it so surprising and so amazing to us. And here we see this incredible honor of being the mother of Jesus, and also see the incredible burden of living this out in the community, in the culture at the time. You know, God is asking her, hey, will you be pregnant and live in the society, in the system, where the law that I set up about some of these things is lived out? Will you tell the story that there is no father and no one will believe you. Will you tell this story and people will just scoff? You know, for Mary to live this out is going to make her life extremely difficult and possibly mortally dangerous. And so for Mary to say, may it be, was like when Esther, back in the Old Testament, when she said, if I die, I die. And for Mary... If she lives, it's for her to accept the fact that every day she's going to be hearing people off to the side talk about her. She's going to be taunted. She's going to be accused. There's going to be all kinds of threats. And she's not going to be a full participant in the society anymore. So how can Mary say, may it be, to living this life for the rest of her life? It's only by her accepting that if God is asking her to do this, God will also provide. Her may it be is consenting to God, yes, I will do this, and I trust fully and completely that you will take care of me and this child. You know, someday Mary's son would carry a cross but here, before Jesus is even born, God asks Mary to pick up her own cross. God gives her a burden that is placed on her. And I love what Scott McKnight says. He says, Mary began to suffer for the Messiah before 
the Messiah suffered. Right? The gospel story began with Mary. Well, if that is not enough trouble, the third trouble is that her son will take the throne of David and reign forever, which again seems so amazing on the surface. To think that her son will be raised up to be the king, to restore Israel, to do all these great things. What a great honor that is. And yet, with that comes an incredible burden. And we don't have to read very far into the story to find out the next person who's going to be a burden. That King Herod is going to come along and hear about this baby and be threatened. And King Herod is not going to put up with this threat to his throne. So what does he do? He takes action. That in the town of Bethlehem, he has all the boys under two years old killed. And I cannot imagine the immense weight that was put on Mary to see or to hear about or to know about this being carried out to her friends and her neighbors in that town. You know, that emotional burden would never go away. Now you think about Mary and Joseph having to flee. They have to leave because of this situation with Herod. They have to go and live as refugees in a foreign land. Talk about messing up their life. And for Mary and her, may it be, in those moments to wonder, God, where are you taking care of me? Well, a couple weeks ago, in one of our groups, we were talking about crucible moments of life, and Tamara talked about her journey of faith through cancer. And she told about a vision that she had, just seeing how in her life everything was falling away and falling apart, and a hand of God holding her. And I've just been mulling over her story and what she had thought about in her crucible moment, because I imagine Mary felt that same way, that her life was beginning to just fall apart, and the only thing that could hold her was the hand of God. Well, here's what Tamara writes about her crucible moment in this vision that God gave her. I saw little me standing on a floor that was rapidly, fiercely falling and collapsing and continually crumbling. It never stopped. There was always something more to crumble, which felt important. There was rock and debris falling everywhere beneath me, and there was nothing solid to stand on. I then saw this giant hand reach down from the sky and grab my hand and hold me from falling down into the crumbling. The hand was powerful. It was immovable, strong, committed, and calm. So while the chaos continued below, I had complete peace and faith in this hand to hold me. And I understood deep in my core that that hand was more than enough and everything and all I would ever need. I knew it with all of my being and it could not be taken away. Tamara writes that this vision speaks to me in so many ways, but is a good reminder of the instability of this world we live in, the crumbling around us, and that it was never meant to be the solid ground we are to stand on. Months after this vision, I began visually pr practicing placing myself on Christ, the solid ground 
to remind my body, mind, and spirit of the truth that I am meant to stand on. It's also a good reminder that God is meant to be all I ever need, completely and fully, and there is complete rest and unexplainable peace in his mighty hand, and he will never let go of me. Thank you, Tamara, for sharing that. Well, this is hard to say, but it seems that we all want the honor, and we don't want the burden. You know, we want to stand where we want to stand and have it our way and have the honor and the favor of God. You know, we want God's favor, we want God's loving face to look at us and to see us and to know us. But we don't want to carry out the task that he's asking us to do. Mary's may it be is a reminder that God is calling us to something greater something greater than our comfort and our ease, something greater than this life itself. But that greater thing will only come when we let go of everything and accept the burden and trust fully in God. So this morning, this Advent, as you're thinking about Mary and her may it be, what is the trouble God is inviting you into? And what is the thing that's standing in your way of saying, may it be, and joining God in that? You know, for Mary, she had to let go of what people around her thought about her. And maybe it would be helpful for you to say, I relinquish my need to be liked and control having positive connections with people around me. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary had to let go of the future. She could not control what would happen next. And she had to trust that God was in control and that he would take care of her. Maybe it would be helpful for you to make your prayer, I relinquish my fear of the future and I open myself up to the will of God I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary had to let go of knowing all the details and how each and everything would work out. You know, she could not protect this baby from all that was going to happen to him. The things people would say, how he would fit into the community. She had to trust God with the details. Maybe it would be helpful for you to make your prayer this Advent. I relinquish my need for every detail to be aligned, every T to be crossed, and every I to be dotted. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Mary's great, great faith that she would respond knowing the full weight of what you are asking her to do by saying, may it be. God, I pray that for us as well, in whatever trouble you invite us into, that you would give us the courage to embrace by faith all that you have for us. 
to let go of the things that we can hold on to in this world, to let go of those things, embrace the burden, and fully trust in you. God, I pray that this Advent, that you would use us to be your lights to shine out into the world, just as Mary did, despite the troubles that she faced doing it. Pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.